Hello and welcome to the Feels Like 45 podcast. I'm Cade Webb, and as always, I am joined by Dustin Ragusa. Dustin, how are you doing on this Friday, sir? Cade, I'm doing well. What about you? <laughs> I'm doing fine. I'm recovering from a very poor weekend of Oklahoma State sports, maybe yes. the most anticlimactic sports weekend in the history of OSU athletics. But outside of that, I'm doing pretty well. We were both in Gallagher-Iba. On consecutive days for bad losses for different sports. So yeah. you were there for basketball. I was there the next day for wrestling. It was t- a tough look for the Feels Like 45 podcast and for Oklahoma State sports. It certainly felt like it followed us around. There's no question about that. I did uh, get an opportunity to meet a couple of our listeners uh, in my uh, travels to Stillwater this week. So uh, that was always nice, and it kind of softened the blow. I was in the arena for both bedlam and the ucf loss and so uh both occasions ran into a couple of our listeners who uh said some very positive things but uh certainly don't uh want to repeat any saturday sunday losses like that for you and i in the near future yeah i feel like you and i are on a streak of losses right now some basketball ones you've been to wrestling for me big 12 championship game yeah i haven't seen a win in gallagher iba with my own eyes this year We got to get back to, we got to go check out a great, we got to get to cowgirl softball and grab a couple wins. Cause right now it feels like 45 is bad luck. Well, that's, that's, that's what it feels like. We'll cut that last part because we don't want to give anybody any ideas that we may be the problem. Feels like bad luck. Feels like bad luck is what, is what I think it is. You know, it's not bad luck, Dustin, (laughs) though, when you get an opportunity to shop with our friends at Charlie Hustle Clothing Company, Charlie Hustle is a vintage inspired clothing company based out of Kansas City that specializes in collegiate and hometown apparel. Charlie Hustle wants you to be the best dressed fan this season, so be sure to check out their wide selection of officially licensed collegiate apparel today and show off your school spirit all season long. With over 30 schools to choose from, they've got you covered with all of your collegiate apparel needs, so shop today at www.charliehustle.com. Charlie Hustle, vintage, made fresh. Dustin, I heard a little rumor that there's something going on with Charlie Hustle at the Big 12 tournament. So if you're going to be in Kansas City, keep yes. your eyes peeled. Tell them that you know us, uh, and uh, I'm sure they'll hook you up. So uh, very cool stuff that we'll be able to talk about soon. Yeah, thanks for dropping that little nugget, Cade. Yeah, definitely keep your eye out for that and appreciate Charlie Hustle. As always, check out their site. Cade and I both have some of their apparel. We love it, so check it out and use our code. All right, Cade. So, you know me, you know I've been doing this. I don't like to talk about it a lot because it's embarrassing that I'm this much of a troll and nerd, but since about mid-February, wake up in the morning, get my coffee, maybe maybe say hi to my family, start working, and check the Oklahoma State football roster to see if it's updated. Well, I checked it. This week, at the beginning of the week, it was updated. 
using uh using my excel knowledge was able to do a little little quick index match work from last year's roster and pull out some discrepancies between the two related to number changes position changes weight changes looking at all the newcomers to make sure they're there and the levers so i thought we would maybe talk about that a little bit because i had a good time going through that yeah, I mean, it's so up your alley uh, being able to just show off your Excel skills, never touch your mouse. I'm sure that <laughs> they're that not even that great, great, but great for you. <laughs> so I think that's a great way to start. I love it. So 123 players listed. Obviously, you've got the 85 scholarship and then the additional players, walk ons, guys that are, you know, maybe we've talked about this before. There, I think there are some guys who are in their COVID year, possibly some of these offensive linemen who aren't officially one of the 85 scholarship players, but they're actually being taken care of now through NIL, which is kind of reimbursing their scholarship to keep them on the roster and make it to where they're not a true walk-on and have to pay for everything. So it's it's really hard to know whose scholarship and who's not. We can take some guesses, but did want to mention all the guys listed. As far as number changes go, Cade, I know what I think you and I's favorite is, but I'll run through all of them really quick. Receiver Dijon Stribling, you know, who was out last year with injury, the Washington State transfer, he changed from 88 to 1. Ceci Velahi, the running back, went from 20 to 3. Safety Parker Robinson went from 39 to 8. Kicker Logan Ward, our guy, Deer Creek, Antler Pride, went from 69, nice, to 19. Calvin Harvey, offensive lineman, went from 72 to 76. And Wes Paul, the punter, the Australian, who's actually been putting out some cool videos on social media with Zane Floors. You should check those out. I think they're on OSU Max. And I think he's probably put them out on Instagram, but he went from 79 to 90. So Valahi took over Nixon's number. Robertson took over DJ McKinney's. Alex Hale actually had 19. So Logan Ward, maybe a little shout out to his guy, Alex Hale taking that over. Maybe that's just the new number for kickers going forward for Oklahoma State. No one was 76, so Harvey just had a little mind change, I guess, to switch from 72 to 76. And then Braden Cassidy politely relinquished number 90 to West Paul. So that's kind of how it worked out. But Kate, I think I know the answer, but which one do you like the most there? Yeah, I mean, you do know the answer. Deshaun Stribling going from 88 to 1. I mean, is that the two best numbers for a wide receiver to wear? Like, is he now like that? That's it. I think. Yeah. I mean, so many iconic 88s, right. not just it like related to Oklahoma state, but in general football exactly. history. I mean, I, I think, you know, even thinking back to Randy Moss wore 88 at Marshall. Yeah. So Michael like, Irvin. Got, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got Michael Irvin, you got Dez, you've got, you know, Oh, you guy that plays for your team right now that I'm not, yeah, I'm not no, even going to give him a thought. shout out, but yeah. he's a great player. He's amazing. And then, one, and then one, you've got your Tay Martins. You've got your Des Bryant at Oklahoma state. It's just, it's such a good number and 80, but 88 was a great number. So it's almost like he, he went from a great number to any, I mean, in my opinion, an even greater number, but two, Elite numbers. Dustin, I think he's going to put the shine back on the number one at Oklahoma State in the wide receiver room. They haven't had a lot of luck with it lately. Braylon Presley wore it. Arlen Bruce wore it. This is, it's coming back. And if you've got a number one jersey deep in the bunkers of your uh, closet, this is the time to dust that off because 
I think he's going to be a breakout player that people forgot about and due to his in injury. And I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. So um, going from 88 to one is awesome. I love the Tay Martin call out. Uh, Joel Penfield, I think, tweeted it. Uh, he's second of Washington straight state transfers to go yes. from a number in the 80s to number one. And that worked out pretty well. So uh, I agree with that completely. Yeah, I love that. I, I mean, all the number changes are great to me. I'm going to say my favorite maybe is Logan Ward. That's pretty good. I want to know if he's always wanted 19 or if it literally is a shout out to his guy, Alex Hale. Didn't Ben Grogan wear 19 too? So is there something with that number? He might have. Room? Uh, it's we, might need to, we might need to look into that. Or maybe we don't, Cade, because it's about kickers. But either way, we might I bet if we it. say it, somebody tells us something so this is me saying if you know anything about this tweet us yeah and i also love calvin harvey just changing his just to change it that's and if always... you don't know anything don't tweet us and don't speculate <laughs> like we want to know the facts we only want the facts okay looking at position changes this was a little more interesting last year i think we had like five or six last year this year really the only one i mean we kind of knew about the two, you know, the, the running back to wide receiver for Seth. Uh, I don't actually even know how to say his last name, but I know he's a walk-on. I, I wasn't expecting that one, but also I, I didn't, it wasn't one that I had at the top of my mind. Dylan Smith and Bryce Stroman, I think both of those. So Dylan Smith went from cornerback to safety and Bryce Stroman went from tight end to fullback. I actually think both of those happened. I know Dylan Smith's did. But I believe the Bryce Drummond one happened last season as well during the season. So after the fall roster update came out, but before like the season really got into swing, I believe both of those position changes already happened. So they're not they're kind of not real true position changes. Yeah. yeah, I think I think you're right. Um good good call out there. And then moving on to the weight changes, Cade, I wanted to get your take on some of the kind of larger ones that we've seen. So defensive end Jaden Foreman, he put on 30 pounds at a position of need. And again, you know, there's always, I did want to caveat this, Cade, and the reason why I'm not talking about the height is we have no idea if they changed maybe the time of day they weighed them, exactly <laughs> what clothes they're wearing, what happened the weekend before, did they just run the 5 a.m. stadium steps? Did they measure their height with shoes on this year? Do they have a completely different crew doing these measurables? That could lead into some of these smaller weight changes. And I, you know, some of the height, you see people going down in height. I'm assuming they didn't shrink, like actually shrink. So I didn't want to caveat that. We got a lot of questions on Twitter and I get it, but like, hey, why'd this guy lose two inches at like I don't think he really lost two inches. I think maybe they just measured it a different way. Maybe he had shoes on last year. Maybe he was standing on his tiptoes. Maybe they just did a quick, hey, yep, okay, you're good. You're a freshman. You're not even going to play type of thing. So I did just want to caveat that. But the bigger weight changes, especially for the younger guys, are ones I wanted to call out. So Jaden Foreman going from 250 to 280. Tywin Ray going from 185 to 210 at safety and Jalen Pope going from 185 to 205 at wide receiver. Those are some yeah. very positive weight gains, I think, for some of the young guys. And, I, you know, you and I love Tywin Ray. We love Jalen Pope. 
But Jaden Foreman getting up to 280 to kind of be more of that heavier anchor, maybe weak side defensive end, I do love that. Yeah, I mean, there's a bunch here that like stand out to me, but our our guy Tywin Ray putting on 25 pounds in the offseason and Kendall Daniels putting on 17, it makes yes. me wonder if those two are related in any way. Um, so I, there's there's probably some stories to be told in the numbers here alone. Um, looking at uh, even Jalen Pope going from 185 to 205. Some of that is the development you expect to see in this program. But a guy like Tywin Ray, 25 pounds in the offseason, like I wonder what type of run he's going to get this season. Um, it's very yes. interesting. It's a great call out. I, you know, guys like Jaleel Johnson even putting on 16 to get up to 260. I know our guy Deshaun Brown wow. didn't put on – a ton, but he was in that 250 range already. So now you've got Foreman at 280, Johnson at 260, and Brown at 250. That gives you some versatility now on the defensive line where I think last year one of the issues was Goodlow and Walter Scheid did a lot of the same things. Goodlow just maybe did them better. And then you had Latou who was maybe a little bit too undersized who would come in on more of the passing down. So I think having these different size and strengths, defensive ends, bringing in a guy like a Zeigbo, being able to move Colin Oliver up on the line of scrimmage as that kind of Jack Leo position. Yep. Maybe they don't have the elite type of guys that we want on this roster at defensive end and, and defensive tackle if they go to more of a four down front at times. But I do think they have some versatility now looking at these weights and looking at some of the guys they brought in. Yeah, Colin Clay at three thirty is like, whoa, okay. That I wonder, I wonder what type of year he's setting up for. I really, I really love your call outs here on the defensive line, and it kind of tracks with some of the things we've been saying over the last couple of weeks. Like the depth there is potentially starting to reveal itself that maybe was hidden a little bit when we initially talked about this right after the season ended. So very much a position of uh, position group of interest for me. I do love that we see both Aiden Kelly and Colin yep. Clay at nose tackle get up above uh, 315 and both add 20 pounds. I'm not saying that didn't happen. I truly believe well, it happened, but it almost makes me think that when they have the NT next to their name now on the Oklahoma <laughs> State roster, since that's kind of a new designation, that they got to be 315 or more. I also <laughs> am, I'm also noticing here that on the 2023 weights, they're all exact numbers. Like you've got yes. like 177. And in 2024, they're all kind of rounded off to the nearest five. That, so that was what, why I wanted to call this at like the caveat going in. You know, yeah. I don't think these are exact. I don't think people should ever think that roster weights and heights are exact. We know what happens with basketball rosters. You see some people. Oh, labeled three inches taller than they actually Oklahoma are. Oklahoma so. State is pretty bad about that too. They're they're ready to say that they've got a six ten point guard, and they really don't. So, uh, <laughs> so very interesting, Dustin. Out of all of these guys, like pick one that is you know the most interesting you know change to you. It, you I know I can I think, go too if you need a second. No, I think I really like Dylan Smith putting on 15 pounds at the safety spot. It makes me think that they are fully behind that move from cornerback to safety, which we saw last year during the season. Anyway, we know he made some plays in the Bedlam game. We saw him have some down games as well and down snaps, but 
I think they see him as a major rotation piece at the safety position. And then the second one I wanted to call out, Cade, your guy Gabe Brown mm-hmm. going on 16 pounds at the uh, at the Mike linebacker spot. I think he, I don't think, you know, they've got right, they've got Martin. He's kind of behind those guys. But depending on how the linebacker group shapes out and what changes scheme-wise Nardo makes, if any, to that position group, I think you could see Gabe Brown in the mix a little bit more getting up to that 240 range as we saw him play a few snaps last year. Yeah, I think I've got a couple. We just talked about Aiden Kelly um, putting on 20 pounds in the offseason. We got a question last week, like, could he, at his 290 weight, could he slide out and play a little bit more defensive end? I would say if he's actually 315, that probably answers that question that they're probably not looking at that. So a little bit of confirmation on a question we were asked last week. And then I think Brennan Presley allegedly dropping 15 pounds. I'm much more willing to bet he was actually 160 last season. And this is them maybe rectifying those numbers because there's no way a guy like that, they're willing to say, yeah, you, you drop, you know, 15 pounds in the offseason with the position he plays. Yeah, I was actually talking to our our friend of the pod, Michael P., about that. He's talked in OSU Max interviews, Presley, that is, about trying to put on weight and struggling with right. it. So I'm wondering they got him up to around that 170, 175 last year, threw that on the roster, and I agree with you. I think he probably played all season closer to 160. Yeah. And Kate, going to spring practice last year, and the other spring practice I was at when Presley was on the team, I'm not a big guy, you know, like five five eleven on a good day if you stretch me out, and I, I like tower over Presley. Yeah, he's, so he's he's not very big, and and I I honestly think maybe I wanted to actually throw this out to you. I didn't say this to you off pod. I know normally I give you a heads up with some of these weird takes I have, but. Do you think maybe also they're trying to list him closer to his true height and weight so he doesn't get to the NFL Combine next year and they're like, hey, man, uh, you're not even close to 175. You're like 155. (laughs) That actually is an interesting conspiracy theory. You're probably on to something. I think for me, it's like if you look at Presley, he looks more like 160. And so I, it, it's almost like the, the the jig was up in a way because, I mean, the way that he gets hit at times is is that of a guy that plays much lighter than, you know, pushing 180. So um, I, I also think it's a compliment to him with how durable he is at that height and weight at that position because he's taken some real licks in his career. And uh, I mean, he's stayed, he stayed healthy. So um, yeah, I I'll go with your conspiracy theory though. I like that. And also when I said tower over Brandon Presley, Brandon Presley can do every single thing in life, probably better than me and beat me up. So I didn't like that as a shot for Presley. So (laughs) uh, I did uh, another weird one, Cade, while we're, while we're on these weights and, and you know, we talked about off pod, maybe, not spending a long time on the weights and now we're spending a long time on the weights. But Alan Bowman, it's showing him as plus 11. He literally told Robert Allen like three days ago that he's lost weight to try to get more nimble. So either he didn't weigh 209 last year or they messed something up because he literally told Robert Allen that he has lost weight to try to be a little bit more mobile in the pocket and outside the pocket. So that's all I'm saying is 
I would mainly pay attention to the younger guys yeah. in their weight gains as opposed to Rashad Owens and Alan <laughs> Bowman adding 10 plus pounds. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people say, why does Rashad Owens continue to bulk up? He's playing wide receiver, not tight end anymore. Go look at the picture of him with his shirt off from the bowl game. That guy was 230 last year. For sure. Fixing his weight. <laughs> yeah. For sure. It's a great point. Some of these older guys, I, I don't I, I love what you're saying here. Now, one interesting thing I will say as far as weight loss and older guys is on the radio, I actually heard Robert Allen mention Dalton Cooper. Now, I don't think Dalton Cooper lost 21 pounds, but talking about Cooper, Materko, Jacoby yeah. Sanders, which I've got another take on Jacoby Sanders, but he's saying that the coaching staff, and he would know, I mean, his son is the offensive line recruiting analyst for Oklahoma State, that they are actually trying to get some of these linemen to be a little bit more light on their feet to help with pulling, to help with some of these faster defensive ends. So I do think maybe some of these offensive linemen have tried to slim down a little bit while not losing strength. And as far as Jacoby Sanders goes, him losing 11 pounds, Kate, my main knock on him coming out of high school, which I didn't have many because he's a very talented player, he put on weight going into his senior year, and you could tell on film, mm -hmm. not just his huddle, but like going in and watching the full game film when I did the write-up on him, he looked slow compared to his junior year. So I think his weight loss is probably true, and he is a younger guy. I think he's probably trying to get a little bit quicker and back to what he used to be. So I do think all that to say, I think some of these weight gains and weight losses are maybe a little not accurate for different factors, but some of them are. So I think you kind of have to think about the, the bigger, like grander scheme when you look at some of these and not just kind of freak out when you see Rashad Owens go up 11 pounds or something yeah, like that. I, I think that that's spot on. And if you look by position group outside of defensive, you know, line offensive line has the like by position group, the widest variance. So I think that there's absolutely some truth to what you're saying. Um, and on Jacoby Sanders, the the compliment he received coming in was his strength is through the roof and and his mobility is going to need some work. I also said, I think you and I agreed on this, that he's probably one of the guys that once he starts to put it together, he's going to come on the scene pretty quickly. And so I don't know if it's this year. It's a loaded offensive line with a lot of veteran experience, but he's pro I mean, he's he's positioning himself to be right in line next season. So. Oh, yeah. And Kate, I know we'll get into this more next week on our kind of preview podcast with Adam Lunt. But the all the offensive linemen that came back this year are going to pretty much every single one. I think maybe Brooks can come back again. But everybody else, if you look on the roster that's updated, they have the asterisks for using their COVID year next to their name. So you're right. Like these yeah. young guys are going to have to start stepping up so i think making changes like this to your body now is a is a good start to that so we'll wrap up spring roster kate unless you have any other thoughts with newcomers everybody that we expected to be there in the spring all the high school guys you know your your my my smith landing cleveland trey griffiths willie nelson you've got tameric johnson josh ford armstrong nodem all david cabongo those are the guys we expected and then as far as the transfers go, your AJ Green, your Kobe Hilton. We we even talked about North Texas transfer Christian Hurd, Isaiah Glass, Tyler Foster, Obi Azigbo, who we talked about earlier. 
All of them are there in for the spring. The only guy not there, but we expected it. Daywan Lofton, he committed too late to Oklahoma State. So he is now going to come in in the summer, not participating in the spring. I don't think it's a big deal because he played at Virginia Tech for three years and had a ton of snaps. He should be able to fit right into an offense that wasn't really that different from what Oklahoma State does. There were a couple of interesting names, though, Cade, on this list that I wasn't expecting. You've got Tyler Pearson, a 5'6", 140-pound wide receiver from Tulsa. He played at KU and UT Martin. He actually played at Kansas, though. He was like a pretty significant piece of their special teams and even returned some kicks. So pretty interesting there. Might be a guy they see on special teams. Not a very big guy. Marcus Dawkins Jr., who's transferring from Oklahoma. No stats at OU. He was a preferred walk-on there. Evan Smith, another OU transfer. He actually was track and field at OU. He ran the 60, 100, and 200 meters for the Sooners as a freshman. He's now transferred to Oklahoma State, and he is listed as a defensive back for Oklahoma State, which is pretty interesting, listed at corner. And then Colin Morris, a safety from NEO. I think he's more of a kind of veteran guy that's kind of transferring over. So just some names we didn't expect. I don't think any of these guys are going to be guys that fight for the two deep. Maybe we see them on special teams, but definitely wanted to call them out since they're guys we haven't talked about before. Well, I think we 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 evenly traded for Trace Ford. So based on the production of two walk-ons <laughs> and one Trace Ford, I think it's even. So, Yes, I agree. I, I love that. I love that. Okay, so moving to the spring offseason kind of football work, so on Tuesday, we found out from Polk's report on Tuesdays that the position groups are breaking up in the classroom and doing video study on particular facets of the offensive defense, working to implement some new scheme stuff, go over former scheme stuff with the new guys and have it all ready to go for spring football and getting into where it's, you know, working like clockwork into fall camp and into the season. So they know this started last year, but they're continuing it this year. Last year, because they were implementing Nardo's scheme, from the ground floor, they stopped the competition days that Rob Glass runs where they kind of compete in all these different kind of workouts. I know tug of war was one of them. They're not doing that again this year. Those Tuesday video breakdowns study sessions have taken that over on Wednesdays. They're doing seven on seven, which Cade Robert Allen posted a picture of them doing on doing seven on seven in, you know, shorts and t-shirts. My understanding, though, is they actually can't work with the ball while the coaches are around at this point. So I don't know if those pictures are taken and the coaches just aren't there mm. or if the ball is actually not being used and they're more like walkthroughs, which I think is probably the case. But when you see 7-on-7 seven seven in the Spokes Report article, I would not think of it as like true 7-on-7 seven seven reps to my understanding. So I did just want to call that out. Dijon Stribling, Callan Shetron, they're back. Completely back from their injuries, fully participating. We know Dalton Cooper is rehabbing an injury. Jake Springfield, and one of the pictures I saw, is actually on a little scooter thing. We knew he was rehabbing an injury. Those guys should be good to go for the fall. We, we kind of talked about that already. So, yeah, I mean, I think everybody – oh, Corey Black also is at practice. We have confirmed. So he has not left. He has not gone to the NFL draft or anything like that. So – They'll be the players are fully in swing. You said, you know, March 26th is when we'll start spring football. So kind of just wanted to cover all of that. Just a little recap before we move on. 
Yeah, good stuff. The Corey Black one is a sneaky big deal. I mean, there was all that speculation in the offseason. That's a big one. And uh, very glad that we're not outing ourselves for potential uh, violations of, you know, protocol. So, uh, yeah, good note on the seven on seven there. Awesome. Well, let's hit a little bit of recruiting before we move on to basketball and some of the other stuff. So a couple of things have happened. You know, we're still kind of going through that dead period. It ends on March 3rd, and then you've got the quiet period until April 14th. So there'll be some news, but a lot of those visits and everything will start happening more in April when spring practice starts happening. So we'll talk about those a lot more around that time. But they Oklahoma State extended an offer to CJ May. 2025 edge 6'4, 215 pounds from Highland Home High School in Highland Home, Alabama. Never heard of that before. Four star, number 20 rated edge, number 12 rated player in Alabama. He announced an offer from Oklahoma State. I believe it was Wednesday, either this Wednesday or last Wednesday. He's got offered over 20 offers from Arkansas, Auburn, Clemson, Duke, Georgia. Miami, Ole Miss, Penn State, South Carolina, to name a few. He was committed to Notre Dame, but decommitted earlier in February. I know that uh, Mario Cristobal recently visited his school in January, so I know that Miami's in on him. Finished with 54 total tackles, 27 solo, including 7.5 sacks, 29 QB hurries, one pick, six pass breakups, two forced fumbles, two fumble, and two fumble recoveries. I think those max prep stats, though, may be a little off because if you watch his huddle tape, the very first play is a pick six that looks like it's maybe less than 39 yards. So mm. another pick might be in there. He also plays basketball. It looks like he's kind of playing that Leo hybrid defensive end linebacker at Highland Home. So it'll be interesting to see how his recruitment plays out. But Paul Randolph is going after some big names from all over the country. Yeah, I, I was just going to say it's interesting to try to get in on him at this stage of his recruitment. Not necessarily that it's late by any means, but if you scroll down his offer list on 24-7, I mean, he's he's got offers from Notre Dame, Miami, Ole Miss, Penn State, Tennessee, Texas A&M, West Virginia. I mean, he's, he's a bona fide four-star guy. And so... uh at this stage for Oklahoma State to jump into that, you don't really see that a ton with with them. So um, I, I love it. Will be interesting to see if they can secure one or or multiple of these guys. Um, but yeah, I, I really like him as a prospect. Yeah, I agree. It'll it'll be fun to kind of watch that play out. And I know we said we were going to talk about visits a little bit closer to when they happen, but because it's a quarterback and it's his first official visit, and a guy we just talked about on the pod. I wanted to talk about it. Jet Nayu, 2025 QB, 6'2", 185 pounds from Lehigh High School in Lehigh, Utah. Three-star, number 99-rated QB, number 17-rated player in Utah. He just scheduled his first official visit with Oklahoma State. First total and obviously first with Oklahoma State for April 26th. You know, he was in the – he plays for – Lehigh's in 6A in Utah. I took them to the state semifinals last year. He threw for 2,812 yards and 31 touchdowns with 10 picks. He's, seen, he's been to camp at Stillwater before a couple of years ago, so he's going to be coming back. I think this is a good sign for Oklahoma State as far as landing him, that he's been before. He signed up as the first official visit with Oklahoma State. Watching his film, I know I talked about this on the other podcast, I know he suffered a knee injury at some point in his high school career, and he actually played 
last season and some of the games I watched with a knee brace on. So something to be cautious about, but he's extremely mobile. He's fast. He He's a throw first guy, but he moves really well in the pocket, does well keeping his eyes downfield. Good mechanics. It almost actually looks very similar to how Garrett Rangel throws That's the ball. That's exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, he he's faster, though, I believe, than Rangel. Yeah. He's he's He could be a dual threat guy, but I think he likes to be a throw first guy. But I would say he's probably more dynamic with his legs than any quarterback on Oklahoma State's roster right now. Good arm, not elite, but definitely I, I think this is a guy who's – I you'll see his ranking increase, and I think if he does end up at Oklahoma State, maybe from number 99, you maybe see him closer to the top 50 when things all said and done. So I, I really like him as a prospect. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they can pull him out of Utah, which now obviously is in the conference. So that will be – uh, one to keep an eye on the Garrett Rangel comp is is perfect. He is faster, but he does move very similarly to him. So when you go watch his tape, it it's kind of hard to not notice. So, yeah, in the high school, the accuracy that Rangel showed in high school kind of shows yep. with Jet as well. So I think maybe like a a quicker Rangel with probably about the same arm strength, I would think. So a, a guy that I definitely like coming into. Oklahoma State in April 26. Yeah, I so, mean, little Clint Shelf vibes. Let's let's yes. call it how we see it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that comp as well. Cade, that's all I have for football. Dustin, fantastic walkthrough. Everything that's going on uh, on the football side. A lot of a lot of talk about other dudes' weight, but that's okay. We'll 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 get through <laughs> it, and uh, we'll probably do it next week with Adam Lunt as well. So, um, let's take a quick pause and hear a word from Classic Overland. We want to say a quick thank you to sponsor the Feels Like 45 podcast, Classic Overland. Classic Overland specializes in restoring original Land Rover Defenders designed with your unique style and specifications. They go to great lengths to find quality vintage Defenders before they begin the restoration process, and their team of experts will guide you through the various exterior and interior options to create the perfect build. Our friends Luke Reed and Robert Dennis of Classic Overland are both Oklahoma State graduates and will work with you through the process to ensure you have a great experience. And in addition, if you purchase a Classic Overland Defender and mention this podcast, the Feels Like 45 podcast, their team will donate a portion of the proceeds to the Pokes with a Purpose NIL Collective. To learn more, you can visit their website, classicoverland.com, and you can contact Luke and Robert at robert at classicoverland.com. Thank you. And go Pokes. All right, Dustin, we talked a little bit about it in the open, but a, a really tough week for Oklahoma State basketball, which was starting to find a little bit of momentum. I, I say a little bit because they had won two out of the last three against uh, Cincinnati and BYU. And then we we talked about this last week. You needed to win two of these last three at home to feel maybe like the momentum was sustaining itself into the offseason. And you lose an absolute heartbreaker uh, to Oklahoma in Bedlam. Really w forgivable, in my opinion. Uh, McCollum hit a hero shot that uh, just doesn't happen very often. So you're one play away from winning that game. I think the far more you know disheartening event that happened in Stillwater for basketball was losing at home to Central Florida, who is a peer of yours in this conference, meaning they're not very good either. And so uh, a very, a very tough week for Oklahoma State basketball. I found it interesting. 
Mike Boynton talked about uh, on Tuesday that he was surprised how much his players seemed to be affected by the Bedlam loss on Monday. And I read that while sitting at Eskimo Joe's on Wednesday night prior to the game and was like, that's not a good that that deflates the vibes a little bit. And you walk in and uh, they played hard. But uh, I I think you could tell it was a little bit of a uh, a slog for them. So, you know, Dustin, all the goodwill that I think that they built up uh, over the last couple of weeks with BYU, Cincinnati and, and Kansas State and the way they played in those games. Uh, a little bit of a step back and and really not an unfamiliar feeling for probably the program and and its fans. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. That was a great overview. Coming out of the first Bedlam game, I thought they were going to lose. Personally, I thought they were going to lose to BYU, lose to Cincinnati, beat OU, beat UCF. So I was completely wrong. It was the total yeah. opposite of that. Yeah. Over four for both of us. <laughs> so I wanted to I wanted to backtrack and call myself out on that before we got into it. But yeah, the, the other thing, Cade, too, about the Bedlam game, such a big crowd. Oh, I know you were there. It was rocking. Know, seeing it, seeing you send me a picture, seeing people post. If you get that victory, maybe the crowd at UCF isn't the smallest crowd, which I, I think I've seen oh. in recent years. And you were actually there, so you could speak on it better. But it just sucks because you kind of had that momentum. You lose on that crazy shot. It's just it's just tough, and then you have the UCF game, which was one of the most disgusting college basketball games I've ever seen. With how many fouls were called, that when that happens in college basketball, I'm I'm finished the game and I'm like, why did I even watch yeah. that? That yeah, it was just a pure referee show. And kid, you know I am I hate talking about the refs and I'm not somebody that just says that I never bring it up when we talk football, but this, I'm not saying that the calls were bad. I'm saying it affected me watching and frustrated me. So selfishly, I didn't enjoy it. I think the calls were bad. I think it was bad both ways though. I mean, I don't think Oklahoma state lost the game because of that. I, I was, I had a great, angle at all of this and uh the way tony padilla and his crew officiated that game was was almost like vindication for everybody that has like left college basketball behind for the nba it was really like yeah i don't blame you because that was awful like that sucked to watch and so when you factor in that you spent money on it you leave that game like what that was not worth it at all to get back home at the end of that. You lose the refs took over. It was um, it was really an abomination and a total contrast to Bedlam, which was very well officiated, I thought. And it was a high level college basketball game. That was what was very disappointing to lose that game was because it, it was just back and forth the entire time. One team was going to have to lose and I'll say this, Dustin, it was like vintage Gallagher. Iba. Granted, it wasn't sold out, but I mean, my ears were ringing leaving that game. And that hasn't been the case. I don't think since I've been a season ticket holder for the last five years, since I moved back, my ears have not been ringing leaving Gallagher. Iba like they were on Saturday. So to follow it up with a, you know, uh, a snoozer 
against UCF was a real bummer. And I'll just say this about the crowd. You got to give them a reason to show up, but that was as bad as I've ever seen. And uh, I mean, I, I, again, driving home, it was like, man, I wish I hadn't driven all the way up here on a Wednesday night and get home at 1115. And I, that, that was my feeling. So hard to blame anybody. All right, folks. Well, interesting times over here at the feels like 45 podcast. We lost Dustin mid-sentence and we're not going to get him back today <laughs> so you're stuck with me uh for the remainder of the show we'll wrap up uh kind of the the overarching commentary about basketball we said we were going to get to baseball softball some other stuff just in the interest of time we're going to move past those we'll recap next week um not a bad thing anyway um and we'll go ahead and wrap the entire show with listener questions here in just a moment but you know back to basketball to finish the thought a a, a uh, disheartening week for sure and it's one that I think probably puts into question you know some of the momentum you felt uh, over the last couple of weeks and so I really don't know what Oklahoma State ends up doing from here you hope they can finish the season on a strong note it's not going to be easy though they go to Texas you get Texas Tech at home and then you finish the regular season at BYU all three of those games you won't be favored in and you likely won't be favored in a uh, matchup in Kansas City with you know likely a another UCF, Kansas State, West Virginia um, likely will be underdogs in the remaining games uh, on Oklahoma State's schedule. So the offseason appears to be approaching quite quickly. Uh, let's go ahead and get into some listener questions. We did have one that came through audio, so we'll go ahead and we'll lead off with that. Hey, guys, another question about the defensive ends. Uh, last year in our three-man front, I was just curious, just approximate percentage, what amount of the time were our defensive ends two-gapping? What percentage were they using the four-eye technique and doing the tight front? Um, and, you know, I know we struggled putting pressure on quarterbacks and switched to more of a four-man front, but when we used the three-man front later in the year, had we changed anything? Thanks, guys. That's a great question, Ryan. It's a shame that we don't have Dustin here. That's right in his wheelhouse. So when you ask for percentages and things like that, you know, he he may literally have that. Um, to me, it felt like when Oklahoma State went to the three down with the overhang that things got a little bit better. Um, you know, whether they end up doing something similar this year, I have to wonder if Kendall Daniels, you know, putting on uh, close to 20 pounds in the offseason has anything to do with this and and the idea that you may play four closer to the line uh more often um I, I i will be very interested to see but you know when in regards to the percentage of of snaps that oklahoma state ran some of those fronts in i'm not i'm not too sure i know what it looked like late in the season so ryan thanks for the question we may circle back to that one uh next week with dustin and adam Let's get into some other questions. Bill at Bill, my geo guy asks, is it reasonable to expect Ollie Gordon to have a similar number of touches this season? Or do y'all think it's in his best interest to see some of those touches distributed elsewhere? Could be to other running backs or receivers. That's a great question. I would bet you don't see, you know, multiple games in the thirties for Ollie Gordon um, this season. I think that that was partially why you brought in a power five transfer 
in AJ Green from Arkansas. That was uh, not an accident. I felt like they uh, tried to do that with Sean Tyler out of Western Michigan last year. Couldn't do it. Jaden Nixon, you know, struggled to fill that hole consistently. I think AJ Green does that. I, I don't see a reason you would be filling up the running back room with depth. I mean, not even to mention uh, Ceci Valahi, you know, coming on late in the year. I think you've now got, you know, three really good options. And because of that, I, you would definitely expect to see Ollie Gordon's touches come down. I don't expect, you know, him to give up the lion's share of the carries, but uh, I would bet the ball gets distributed a little bit more evenly uh, elsewhere. Uh, keeping the Ollie theme, uh, Michael at Mickey Blue Eyes double zero says, I'm worried Ollie might become another Chuba Hubbard. Chuba came back after a great season and sputtered. What happened to Chuba that final year? Was it him, the O-line, the coaches? What can Ollie or our offensive line do to keep us from repeating the past? If you remember, the offensive line really did struggle that year. And there was some, you know, apparent consternation between, you know, the 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 coaching staff and Chuba. I, I don't know specifics on that, but it was rumored throughout that entire season. I think Chuba was very interested in in keeping some tread on the tires and hard not to blame him um i don't know if that's different for ollie gordon i'm sure he's looking at you know he came back he, he probably made a nice penny in nil but it's not going to be what he could make uh you know with two contracts in the nfl so i don't know how you repeat that i think the offensive line being much better is a good uh indicator and i think the running back room is simply deeper than it was uh you know when chuba was around so michael thank you for the question from at Buffalo State, is Gunnar Gundy going to be on staff? I think so. I mean, I, I don't have a, a reason to say yes, but like definitively. But it's really starting to feel that way, right? Whether it's in a, you know, uh, a support role. I mean, he's not yet uh, able to be a graduate assistant, I don't think. It does feel like that's what is being put in motion. And frankly, it's probably what is most likely in Gunnar Gundy's future around the game is, is coaching. So um, I, I would welcome it for sure. And I think Dustin would as well from Tyler Jones at Dr. Tyler Jones. What would you sacrifice for another sport to have OSU softball BOU in a Bedlam national championship this year? Wow. Uh, well, I'd sacrifice an Oklahoma state basketball appearance in the NCAA tournament this year. There's there's my answer. Um, I, I don't know what I'd give up from from football to see that, but man, that would be pretty great to stick it to the Sooners and Kelly Maxwell. Uh, that that would be a lot of fun. Great question, Tyler. Here's one from Caleb Spangler. Thoughts on these insane odds of Oklahoma State plus sixteen hundred to win the Big Twelve Conference Championship game? I am a betting man, and I will be taking those odds, and I think you should as well. I think when you also look at the odds that others are getting, it makes it even more confusing. When you look at UCF plus 1100, Kansas State at plus 360, um, I think also Kansas State has negative odds, uh, like negative in the terms of they're like favored to be in the college football playoff. So that's actually kind of a losing bet to make that unless you can, you know, withstand the 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 price tag to make that bet worth your while. I think the the odds in the big 12 this year are very confusing to me. Um, I heard Jim Trevor on the sports animal talking about, you know, Oklahoma state in particular being a fan base that, you know, this happens to quite frequently where 
you know, I mean, they're they're consistently one of the bigger winners in uh, Vegas, but the odds are consistently questionable. And I, he kind of speculated around, could it be because, you know, Oklahoma State fans in general, just they're, they're not, you know, avid gamblers and therefore, uh, you know, those lines uh, can can fly under the radar. I think it's very interesting because it has happened quite often. And um, I think plus 1600 is tremendous value for this Oklahoma State roster. That's that's a bet I would be willing to take. And one that, you know, if they get to nine and two, eight and three and and they're on the fringe to get into the Big 12 title game, you could hedge that bet. But um, I, I would ride that one. I think that that's great. Let's go ahead and wrap up with a couple more uh, at bleed orange 41. When will the basketball mystery stop? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Man, if I had a crystal ball, I, 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 I would love to tell you, but I don't have a crystal ball and uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what it takes either. I think there's, you know, ESPN rumored an infusion of NIL into the program, do a couple of, you know, high level transfers, you know, put you in a better position with this coaching staff? Probably. Um, if there's no infusion of NIL and you retain the coaching staff, is there a light at the end of the tunnel next year? Maybe with the young core, but I think you're asking a lot of a team that won four conference games. Um, I, I don't know what has to happen. I, I I feel like this looks a lot like Travis Ford's last season. gallagher Iba was a ghost town. Um, they're probably going to go one and done in the Big 12 tournament. And um, I... I don't know if the momentum that you had the last couple of weeks is going to be enough to withstand what at least projecting into the next couple of weeks looks like will be a, you know, a tough stretch to end the season. So it's a good question. I, I don't know. Um, hopefully very soon from at cats underscore cowpoke. Unsure if this question will get answered, but what are your personal favorite uniform logo combinations for football? Example, mine is black, black, white with a full body pistol Pete on the helmet. This is actually pretty easy for me. I really gravitate to the away looks. I just love a white jersey and they tend to go tricolor more often with those. And so obviously all white is one of my favorites. I would love to see them go with a white face mask on the white helmets more often. They, they seemingly don't do that as much as they used to. I would be welcome. Uh, I would welcome that. Um, I think black, white, black is my favorite with the, you know, classic brand on these uniforms. I think it's my favorite. Last question from at Seif Carrick. How could you not all not rank fuzzy chaps, Pete, as the best all-time a few pods ago. That's a really good point. I don't think we talked about it, but we weren't... I don't think we were talking about the variations of, like, athletics Pistol Pete, right? We were talking about the variations of university Pistol Pete. Like, we were talking about bass fishing and, you know, club volleyball and mathematics Pete. So, Fuzzy Chaps Pete is elite. I have a pullover with him on it, and uh, I consistently get compliments on it. Frankly... It's better than standard bow-legged Pete. Like, I think that they should bring him back as a full-time, um, you know, alternate to that. So, uh, love the question. Great point. We definitely did miss that. Thank you all for the fantastic questions. And, uh, Ryan, I'll see if I can get Dustin to answer your question next week on the podcast with Adam Lunt. We are excited to bring Adam back uh, for another uh, you know, preview into the 2024 20, season and uh, look forward to having him. 
and again, apologies for the technical difficulties. I know Justin uh, would love to be here and uh, and and on the end of this podcast, but uh, the show goes on, and we we ride into the weekend. We hope you have a great weekend. If you're not already, you can follow us at Feels Like Forty Five Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Threads. You can follow Dustin at Dustragu, and you can follow me at Cade Webb. We will see you guys back here next week. Go Pokes.